0: Hallelujah! Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah! Dear saints, the idea that life becomes better or easier when you are a Christian is a complete myth. It is a false teaching. Life is difficult on its own, and it actually becomes more difficult as a Christian. Uh, throughout time, Christians have referred to this life as, in Latin, vale lacrimarum which is Latin for a valley of tears, the vale of tears, as Psalm 84 says it, the valley of weeping. That's what they call this life. And that's what Dr. Luther calls this life in the small catechism also, not a place. Uh, he doesn't call this life a place where you live your best life now or a time of mountaintop experiences and things like this. No, he calls it a valley of sorrow, the veil of tears. And that is how you ought to consider this life and this world as something that is chiefly bad. Most people do the opposite. They think of life as mainly good. And that bad things simply just intrude and punctuate and interrupt the overall goodness of this life. However, Christians view it in the reverse, in the opposite way. We have a different worldview. We see that the world is mainly bad. And that good things are things that are interrupting and punctuating and interrupt uh, the the sadness, the overall sadness of this life. I'm, I'm not telling you to be a pessimist or an optimist. I'm telling you to consider this life from God's perspective. That ever since the fall into sin, bad things are the norm and good things are the exception. Now, with that being said, I know that the majority of you, maybe even all of you, would say that you don't experience it this way. You experience it the opposite way. You might say that you've actually had a very good life because you've had more good things happen to you in your life than bad things. But, but that doesn't prove that this life and this world are mainly good. It just proves that God has been good to you in the midst of this awful life. Do you see that? It proves that you have a lot to thank him for. That when you see life in this way, you would be much more thankful of a person than seeing it the opposite way. The fact that you've had more days of joy and comfort and leisure means that you've had it better than you deserve. This life is a veil of tears and yet God has given you reason after reason after reason and day after day to smile and to be glad. The world expects life to be good, and then they're surprised when they see evil. But we expect this life to be evil, and then we are surprised when we see good. Okay, well, why is this life a veil of tears? I would say that there are uh, many reasons, but I'm going to focus on three. And the first one is this. This life is a veil of tears because we sin. Simply put. We break the commandments. And breaking the commandments makes this life bitter and difficult and worse. It causes suffering. God did not give his word, his commandments to make this life boring or to frustrate you or stifle you. He gave these commandments to protect you and to make you happy. And the world wants you to think that breaking the commandments makes you happy. Uh, But it doesn't. It does not make your life better that if you want to live a good life if you want a happy life a better life then you keep the commandments you live your life according to those commandments that the law of God is good now look the the problem is that when we break the commandments we oftentimes brush it aside like it doesn't matter and so we think our sins are harmless or that they don't affect us so we say look so what i broke the commandments big deal i wasn't struck down by lightning i'm i'm fine but don't be naive because the consequences of sin eventually catch up to you. They, event, they will seek you out. And your greed will catch up to you. Your lusting, adulterous eyes and heart. You're skipping church, your laziness. You're not doing devotions and praying at home. All of these things will catch up to you. Do you believe this? And then you'll find that in due season. All the sins that you've given yourself over to will one day wreak havoc on your life. That is how serious this is. Uh, Let me say this that Jesus has forgiven you all of your sins when he died on the cross, and he baptized you, and he forgave you. And he has removed the eternal consequence of your sins. That is, he has removed your eternal damnation. And he has promised to even remove every temporal consequence of your sins as well on the very last day. But here in this life, while you are in this veil of tears, you still endure some of the consequences of your own sin. Whatever consequence you have because of your sin is in fact a lot lighter of a consequence than you actually deserve than what it would be like without Jesus. But Christ has alleviated And lightened all of the consequences for us so that when we do face them, they're a lot better than we deserve them to be. But nevertheless, there are still consequences that simply follow the act of sin. So that is the first reason that this life is a veil of tears. It's because we made our own lives harder by bringing these consequences upon ourselves. We are suffering the consequences of our own sins in our own life. Broken relationships, broken trust, uh, all of these troubles and things. Now, the second reason this life is sorrowful is because it's not just you, but it's everybody else around you who is sinning too. Uh, most people don't, uh, don't like the first point I made uh, that I said that you make your own life difficult. But they quickly agree and can see the second point that everybody else makes my life difficult, that it is their fault, right? Uh, Now, I don't want you to take this and blow it out of proportion. The source of all of your problems is not always other people or everybody else. I don't want you to walk around playing the victim card and saying, well, the only reason I have issues in my life is because everybody else needs to get their act together And I got mine, right? Uh, And I structured the sermon like this for a reason, because I don't want you to even look or acknowledge your neighbor's sin until you have first acknowledged your own. Until you have first looked at your own sin and said, my sin is a deep problem and has caused them suffering and sorrow and others. Uh, Now I can then consider theirs. Uh, so I want to bolster that down in your mind because our deceitful hearts, what they do whenever we hear sermons like this, is they always twist uh, the preaching of the word to make it seem like we are the innocent one and then everyone else is guilty. But the point is, we're all in the same uh, class. We're all in the same boat. Now, having said that, uh, it is true that people sin against you. It is true that you are sometimes the victim of other people's wickedness. And that's what makes this life difficult for everyone. Enduring the consequence of your own sin and then enduring the consequence of other people's sins against you. And it is endless. It goes on and on and on because that is how the world deals with sin. They don't know how to repent. They don't know what forgiveness is. They simply respond to sin with more sin. They take a sin and then they cover it up with more sin. And then they take another sin to cover that sin up. And it just snowballs. It's, it's awful. Now, look, this world believes uh, this. It, it just continues to get worse. Um, this world believes this ridiculous lie of evolution that is that things are going to get better that things are getting better and that soon enough we're going to figure out a way to improve everything and make this life better than it ever was and so if you just leave this all to the governing authorities then they will figure out a way to usher in some sort of utopia where everything is going to be fair Everything is going to be just, that everything is going to be equal and every, everyone is going to be in the same place. There's not going to be any wars because everyone's going to have the same things. But that is a lie. The Bible teaches us that this world is not getting better. It is getting more and more sinful, worse and worse, more and more depraved, more vengeful, more adulterous, more confusing, more disobedient and more selfish and so on. That is how the world is getting That sin is wrapping itself tightly around everything, every institution in this world. The more the world goes on, the more we can't expect to suffer. And that means that we need Jesus every day, every passing hour, more and more. Because things will not get better on their own. Okay. So that is the second reason this life is a valley of sorrow. It is other people's sins. Now... Now I'm getting to the sermon. (laughs) Uh, There's a third reason. This is the point that is brought up in the gospel lesson for today. And this third reason that this life is a veil of tears is because of persecution. And this is a suffering that is unique to Christians. Everyone experiences the first two. Everyone experiences the, the, the trouble of their own sin and then other people's problems too. But only Christians have this added sorrow And this added sorrow of persecution, it is an extra pain, an extra and added pain that nobody else in the world sees or experiences but you. But you who are true Christians. You know this. And this is unique to you. This is a special category that you're in. It is just you. And persecution is suffering in any way for the sake of Christ because you are a Christian. It is being reviled for the things that you say and believe and hold dear. And it is those things that are in your heart that the world cannot stand. And so they denigrate and deride and denounce you. And this is all because the devil is the prince of this world. The devil hates Jesus. And so so does the world. And because the world hates Jesus, they will hate you too. And to all of this, Jesus says in the gospel lesson, finally, he says, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, that when, not if, but when their hour comes, you may remember. That I told them to you. He's not surprised by suffering. And neither should we be. And here's the key. That if suffering and persecution comes as a surprise to you. Then you're going to fall away. But if you prepare yourself beforehand. And learn from Jesus even to expect it. Then you will stand firm and you will endure it. And you will remember that what the Lord said is true about your suffering. And if that is true, then what he said about your salvation is also true. But look, I know, I know we're not being persecuted yet. Uh, Not in, 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 in the same degree as other Christians have seen it. But you still need to learn and pay attention to this. Don't think you can skip this part because it doesn't apply to you yet. And if you wait to learn about persecution and what you should do in the midst of persecution while you're being persecuted, then you will not endure it. You will fall away. Uh, So I'm going to say a few words about persecution. There are, uh, first of all, there are many different ways that persecution comes. But there's only one reason why. There's many ways, but one reason. Uh, For example, just take the last century or so the major ways that persecution came to Christians were through Islam and communism. Those were the two main ways in the past century or so. Christians have been slaughtered under these regimes more than anywhere else recently. In fact, on May 11th, I'm sure you guys don't know this, maybe some of you do, but May 11th, Tuesday of this past week, We learned that 78 Christian pastors in Ethiopia were massacred by the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, which is a Marxist communist group, Tuesday of this week. Uh, And we were in our homes, or we were at work, or we were just going about our day. They were killed. They were slaughtered. And no major news sources really covered it or cared. Persecution comes in different ways. But Jesus says it's the same reason. They will do these things because they have not known me, or known the Father nor me. Now, here's the second thing. Uh, there's something else that is deeply unsettling, a chilling detail that we oftentimes pass over here. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Our English translation says out of the synagogues. It's a phrase. But in Greek, it's actually one word. The word is aposynagogos. Uh, if you can guess this, it means to you've been unsynagogued or de uh, A modern word that's kind of uh, a correlate, uh, that correlates to that is probably excommunicate. They will excommunicate you out of their synagogues, their churches. Now, this isn't, an un- this isn't the godly excommunication that shows you the severity of your sin and drives you to Christ. No, but this is an ungodly excommunication that uh, it's an ungodly, unjust removal, not because of sin, but because of the truth, but because of what you confess in the creed. That is what the Lord here is saying. And here's the problem. Who is going to do this? Is it The communists? or the Muslims, or the government, we don't go to their churches, right? We don't go to where they gather. It is not their churches, but ours. This is the chilling detail. Jesus is talking about a persecution that will come from within the Christian church and not without, from without a persecution from so-called Christians who bear the name of Christ, who will turn against other Christians and drive them out. Members will turn against their pastors for preaching the truth. Members will turn against members. Pastors will turn against members. The the whole thing crumbles. And Jesus says, some churches will cast you out of the church for holding to the truth, for saying, this is what the Bible says. And then they will cast you out for that. Uh, you say that marriage is the lifelong union between only one man and one woman. You say that men are the head of their home. That the highest calling of a woman is that of motherhood. That men are men and women are women. That life begins at conception. You say that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Only way to heaven and that no one comes to the Father except Through him, through faith in him, uniquely, exclusively through him. You oppose homosexuality and transgenderism and promiscuity and pedophilia and communism and pornography and abortion and feminism and drunkenness and addiction and polygamy and false religions and so on and so on. You oppose these things and you say that these things are wrong and harmful and destructive. And then where has the pushback come from? from the church, from those who are so-called Christians, from the pulpits of the most popular and wealthiest pastors. The ones you think and you thought you had the most in common with turned out to be the ones who called you bigoted and unloving and ostracized you. And they say that we give Christians the bad name. That we don't know the love of God. And they not only side themselves with the world, but they have convinced themselves that everything that is said right now is a threat, that it is harmful, that it produces hatred and violence. That is how the world considers just not only this sermon, but this church, everything you, you guys say and hold and dear to your hearts. And for that reason, they will silence and they will think they're offering a work of God. They're doing the work of God. And so you have to be ready for all of this because it has already begun a long time ago. And when you see it, you will be tempted to feel ashamed and resentful and people will shake their heads at you and say, look, what are you doing? Just give it up. Grow up. Get with the times. Why do you keep insisting on all of this? You're going to lose everything. Times have changed. Move on. And then they will demonize you for treasuring the word of God in your heart and confessing it. And when this happens, just remember that there's nothing new under the sun. When the weight of this persecution falls on you, Jesus says, I know they did it to me too. Whatever you are afraid of, he already faced. Everything you can expect to go through, he already has gone through. They demonized him. They mocked him. They cast him out and they killed him. And yet he lives. And he has promised that even if they take your life, yet you will live too. Um, I know this has been a fairly gloomy sermon, right? Uh, especially compared to this past week and all of Easter. Uh, But there's a reason this lesson, this exact gospel lesson, comes today, right after the Ascension. (laughs) There's a reason it is ordered this way and why this is the last Sunday of the Easter season. And the reason it comes right after Ascension is so that you are reminded and that you already know that it is the Lord who, as ascended into heaven and is in control. And he always has been, and he always will be, no matter what it looks like. And he has set the time and the limits on all of these things, even your own persecution, even the day of your death. He has set the time and the limit for those things. And since he is in control, it means you will never really lose anything. Uh, You will never really lose anything. Do you know that? (laughs) You will never lose anything in this life because God fully intends to return to you everything in eternity that he takes away from you briefly in this life. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and for me is what? For to die is gain. It is gain. And finally, dear saints, whatever troubles you endure, you have the greatest consolation. That will always cheer your broken heart in the midst of persecution and suffering and sins and enduring all these things. And that is this, that God loves you and that he has forgiven all of your sins. If the world won't forgive you, so what? The Father has forgiven you. If the world casts you out and ostracizes you, the Father will not. And he will save you from your own sins. He will save you from the sins of others. And he will save you from persecution. He'll save you from it all. And he will wipe away every tear you have shed in this veil of sorrow. And this will never change. And you can rely upon it when dying. So when the world curses you, the Lord blesses you. The the world casts you out, but the Lord keeps you. The world is vindictive to you, but the Lord is gracious. The world looks down on you, but the Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you his peace. However much the world takes away, God will restore it a hundredfold in the life to come. He loves you more than the world can hate you. Uh, Hear the words of the small catechism on the seventh petition. We say this, we say, but deliver us from evil. What does this mean? It says, we pray in this petition in summary that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this veil of tears to himself in heaven. Amen. I want to close with the words of this hymn that we just sang. And for your gospel, let us dare to sacrifice all treasure, Teach us to bear your blessed cross, to find in you all pleasure. O grant us steadfastness in joy and distress, lest we, Lord, you forsake. Let us by grace partake of endless joy and gladness. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.